Let's go. What a lovely day! Andy, there's a whole world out there. Jump in. Can you dig it? Yeah. You must always pay strict attention. I was just completely enamored by it the entire time. Dude, he did not have to go that hard. I know, man, isn't it wild? The Jared cast. So it begins. Sublime! <laughs> Welcome to the chair. Ready for that. <laughs> Welcome to the chair cast. Um, we are here to finally, we're finally, finally, finally talk about uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer, the cinematic cultural phenomenon. Uh, that is has shook the world, um, rocked the summer box office, and uh, revitalized a lot of people's love for for just going to their movies, um, yeah. which I love. Uh, but yeah, uh, hey, my name's Jared. Welcome. Uh, with me is also Jared. How you doing, Jared? Hey, hey, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, been a long week. Uh, yeah, especially at work, but. Uh, I got I got some damn good tips today, so I'm in a good mood. I'm feeling chipper. Um, I'm very excited to talk about these movies. Fair warning, <clears throat> saw them a while ago, and I was high, so short-term memory is kind of out the window. Um, <laughs> but that said, I had a great time with both of them, uh, and I'm and I'm very excited to talk about them. How you doing? I'm doing good. It was it was kind of weird because I was in the middle of moving. While we were while we did this double feature with my with my brother and my two roommates, and uh, it was very very like it was it was a very much needed like stress reliever. And then um, as we were kind of finalizing the moving process and stuff, I I managed to see both of them uh, a second time. One for my brother's birthday, I saw Oppenheimer on the my first time at the Chinese theater. Uh, in this, with with their seventy millimeter IMAX projector, and holy shit, uh, film's just better. Film's just better. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to explain it, but it is. Wish we had that. <laughs> Wish we had it in Bumfuck Oregon, but sadly we do not. And uh, and then I got to see Barbie on a premium screen as well. It's weird. I don't know if you know Prime at AMC. No. Basically, they it's like show a... Amazon Prime movies. No. <laughs> no, I think it predates Amazon, but basic, um... basically, the seats vibrate with the sub- subwoofers. Oh. <laughs> and <laughs> Barbie, cool. yeah. But Barbie's like the least bassy movie of the year. So it's like, <laughs> I felt it twice and I was like, great. Uh, but the, the projector was also upgraded. So that, that was good too. That's good. They're like uh, putting around in the convertible. <laughs> Seems like shaking like crazy. No. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, we got because uh, this the, the the release date uh, was so significant in uh, mm-hmm. cinema history, and because uh, these films deserve the 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 biggest celebration possible. We are going to do five top fives because <laughs> the top five of top fives, baby. Yeah. <laughs> why? Why not? Uh, why not? You know? Um, yeah. yeah. So to celebrate uh, the fateful day of July twenty first, uh, we'll start off with our top five horses. 
and then our top five beaches, and then our top five explosions, and then our top five nonlinear movies, and then uh, a top five uh, fun double features, because this was such a fun double feature. Um, but I've been talking a lot, sorry. I will let Jared kick us off with his top five horses. All right. Um, fair warning for all of these. Uh, I told Jared this already, but I did these uh, at work today, like while at red lights. I just like typed one at a time. <laughs> and so uh, zero research and very unhinged. That's that, a lot of red lights. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I, was red there lights. For like, I was there for like nine hours. And oh, it was okay. a lot of driving. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I anyway. I was just on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I hit every single one. <laughs> oh, um, my number five uh, is the horse from the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. Or, and, yeah, I think that's the order. Uh, it was a good short. It was, it was tight. They had some wisdom. Um, four, the Night King's white horse, which is badass. Mm -hmm. um, number three, the horse that Mongo knocks out in Blazing Saddles. Uh, short but sweet. <laughs> number two, the Budweiser or Clydesdales, all of them. Uh, I happen to know they're all clones. Uh, and number one, Bojack, obviously. I talked about it too much. Your turn. <laughs> I forgot about Bojack. <laughs> I never uh, forget to include Bojack. <laughs> my top five horses are uh, number five, Shadowfax. Uh, that's Gandalf's horse in The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, and mm. the, uh, the the Return of the King. Uh, Spirit, uh, the the Native American horse who is uh, animated in a way that's disconcertingly sexy, but still awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're always a sexy horse. <laughs> the legendary Comanche horse. You gotta you gotta add something there. Um, oh damn! I forgot the. Uh... I think you should leave horse with the diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway. Number, number three, uh, Maximus from Tangled, I think was just a perfect, like, mm. detective trope. Uh uh, number number two is Hidalgo. Uh, this is a really like kind of cheesy Hollywood, like based on a true story, but not really. Um, but Hidalgo is badass, play, played by real uh, native painted horses about a legendary half uh, native, half white uh, guy who half white cowboy and his horse who uh, who go to Saudi Arabia and race the purebred uh, horses in, in the desert. Um, and then number one is Brago, who uh, is Aragorn's horse in Lord of the Rings. This horse mm -hmm. saved his life in the movie and uh, bonded so well with the actor Viggo Mortensen that he actually bought the horse and kept it. So wow. that's that's the best horse for me. For um, me, and and for at least one other person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my top five beaches. Uh, this was the hardest one. Like, for sure yeah because we also didn't say movie like we just said top five beaches I'm like okay yeah let's do it i did movie um, beaches but you don't have to uh at number five i've got the beach that makes people old from old uh, at number four i've got all of dunkirk which is not a good vacation not number a three beach. i've got keeling king from actual real life uh, number two, I've got Puang, or sorry, little 
Puang Mata Squar Matsaport from uh, The Simpsons, season seven, episode twenty-five. Uh, and the number one beach of all time is your mom. <laughs> Stupid. Stupid. Back to you, Jared. Okay. <laughs> my number five beach is Amity Island, as long as you stay out of the water. Uh, my number four beach is New Pizance from uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, my number three is Pangu Island from Surf's Up. Uh, my number two is NAS North Island Beach from both Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick. Um, and then my number one... On that beach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and my number one is Bell's Beach from the very end of Point Break. Um, yeah. yeah, iconic yeah. shit. Yeah, I should have I should have guessed Point Break. Point Break comes up very little on this show for it being our logo. <laughs> <laughs> we need more Point Break representation. We do. Um, Maybe we'll we see. We also need <laughs> we also need more explosion representation. Uh, so at number five, I've got the uh, phone triggered explosion from the Hurt Locker. So tense. Slow mo's great. It's beautiful. Great movie. Um, Number four, I've got the fridge nuke from Crystal Skull. Uh, <laughs> number, <laughs> it's just so hilarious how it like rolls. It just gets out. I love yeah. it. It cracks me up every time. Um, <laughs> number, number three, I've got the water heater uh, explosion from Mythbusters. Uh, it made me terrified of water heaters forever. Um, number two, I've got the napalm sp- strike in Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and number one from a documentary, uh, the Sky Ladder from Sky Ladder. Uh, it's so triumphant. It's gorgeous. I love it. It stuck with me. <laughs> so so good. Um, yeah, I love that movie. Um, my number five explosion uh, returning to or not returning. Sorry, spoiler alert. I guess. Uh, <laughs> for the very first time and only time. <laughs> uh, the, the first Chris Nolan movie to make a top five here uh, in this episode. Uh, the Invisible Explosions from Inception. Um, mm. Love that scene between uh, yeah. Paige and uh, DiCaprio. Um, the airstrike at the end of The Rock is just so iconic. Uh, have you seen The Rock? Yeah, <laughs> like once when I was a baby. Okay. Yeah. I, I just come to the rock. <laughs> so good. Um, in scanners, uh, the someone's head explodes, and it's like one of the best special effects ever. Um, Die Hard, uh, the the explosion on the roof, um, with um, John McClane jumping off the roof, tied to a fire hose, just. Oh, the best. And then my number one is a, is a comedy explosion. It's from the film Undercover Brother, uh, where there's a golf cart chase, and it's so <laughs> slow and so stupid, but the, the, the bad guys who are chasing Undercover Brother, like they, 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 they see a gas line, and then they're about to crash into it. It's like, ah! And then they tap it. <laughs> and then, and then they st- they're still screaming, ah! And then it blows up. (laughs) (laughs) It's perfect. You just can't beat a well-timed boom. It's just just hard to top. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Uh, Um, Second to last, non-linear movies. Um, I also, I didn't do Tarantino (laughs) because it's it's just 
easier without it. Um, number five, I had Memento. I think it's the best use of nonlinear. Um, like if it was best non-linear usage in movies, it'd probably be number one. Hmm. Um, but I, the movie's kind of just all right for me. Uh, number four, Decision to Leave. Uh, three, The Social Network. Uh, the most creative use is my number two with Arrival. Uh, and number one, The Prestige. Just mm. like a good magic movie, you know? Are you watching like close? two. <laughs> <laughs> so, so good. Yeah. Um, I went with, for my number five, the Kill Bill movies. I think they're... Um, I think that structure is just so perfect. Um, number four, I went with Hero. Uh, it's kind of like Rashomon, but in color. And like every time they flash back, the production design is a different color. Uh, it's awesome. Um, I went with Your Name for number three. Mild spoiler alert that it's nonlinear. Uh, number two, I went with Mulholland Drive. I don't even know where the movie starts. Um, that's how nonlinear this movie is. And number one is Dunkirk. Uh, Dunkirk is, uh, I think, still my my favorite Chris Nolan movie. And um, he tells you in the beginning that it's an experimental movie. And it still works as an experimental thriller. Uh, yeah, it's so, so good. Yeah, absolutely. I just rewatched that like three days ago. It's, in right. my, it's on my head. Um, and then we got double features, um, which is kind of our main top five. It's the, <laughs> it's the entree of this <laughs> long-winded intro. Um, my number five is a, a shout-out to a different episode. Um, it's Wonka Piercer, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I do Wonka this the Chocolate Factory and Snowpiercer. Uh, I, I didn't want to, but I had to. <laughs> so I'm just legally bound to bring it up. <laughs> you are legally bound to bring it up. Um, yeah, it's in my contract. Uh, <laughs> my number five would be my number one. My number five and my number four would be my number one and my number two. But... I, I I just haven't tried them yet. Um, yeah. I know for First a fact I haven't tried. <laughs> I know for a fact that once I do, I'll love it though. Um, but in honor of uh, Danny and Nicholas and Hot Fuzz, I went with my number five, Point Break and Bad Boys Two. Um, <laughs> I think uh, watching those both in the same night is genius. I don't know why. I've never done it. Um, but it's it's just they're just so awesome. They're so over the top and so amazing, and uh, really spectacular visuals, spectacular directing by Bigelow and Bay, and uh, two iconic duos uh, within in Martin Lawrence and Will Smith and um, Patrick Swayze and uh, uh, Keanu Reeves. Um, so they have interesting parallels between them, and I think that was intentional when Edgar Wright and and Simon Pegg wrote this. But yeah, I, I think those those would just be so much fun to do in the same night. Yeah, yeah, I I want to. <laughs> I, I didn't even cross my mind until until you brought it up. But yeah, <laughs> uh, I gotta make that happen immediately. Uh, my number four is they kind of have themes besides Wonka Piercer. Um, my number four is Irish people with limited to no. Uh, musical talent starting out, <laughs> joining a band, and growing as an artist, and that's Sing Street and Frank. 
I think I think it's just both both great, wholesome, like let's try to make it as a band, uh, but from completely different perspectives. Uh, and I think it's it's cool. I haven't watched them back to back, but I think it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm gonna someday soon. Would you do Sing Street first? I think so, because it's kind of like the the innocent like kid. Let's start a band, and then Frank is like the jaded <laughs> musical experimentation side. Yeah. Uh, so I think they just kind of work as a as a growth of an artist type deal. For sure, for sure. And I like to think that after Sing Street, he becomes Donald Gleason. <laughs> <and> he... <laughs> kind of sad, but kind of great. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it kind of works. <laughs> um, my number four. Uh, I don't know why movie theaters like just haven't like because a lot of L- a lot of the indie theaters in LA do do like fun double features and stuff like that. But I don't know why nobody's ever paired the licorice pizza with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think yeah. the, um, I would start with licorice pizza. Um, I, I think it's a slightly better movie, but I think that just the triumph that you feel at the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the perfect mm-hmm. note to end on with the night. Um, I think both capture uh, nostalgia and capture Hollywood uh, in back in the good old days uh, before it got like all all crazy and dangerous and dirty um, and kind of raise questions about why it's the good old days to some people and not to others but they also uh, come back around and come full circle and make you laugh at uh, life and love and uh, humanity in a fun and interesting cinematically way yeah yeah that's great I can't imagine doing the reverse and like going from the high of of the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and then he's like, "Oh, this motherfucker's just selling water beds! Like, come on, <laughs> <laughs> let's go!" Yeah. Um, so totally. I think I think you got the order order right on that one. Uh, it's sure. a great pick. I, I think you you got something there. Um, my number three is the. Breaking yourself to chase perfection, double feature, <laughs> uh, with Black Swan and Whiplash. Um, as soon as you said breaking yeah. yourself, like, <laughs> <laughs> you get a blood, sweat, tears, and feathers for this. Um, I think I think just thematically, like the topic of seeking perfection, regardless of the damage it does to you, uh, is complete with these two movies i don't think you need to watch any other two movies to like explore that theme uh and i think it i think it'd be a fun watch hell yeah hell yeah um my number three is uh is is basically just my two favorite nicholas cage performances uh the first being mandy um, which is my first favorite, and the second being Raising Arizona. And I think, um, just emotionally, I think that works better, you know, because... Uh, uh, I think these two you could interchange, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I think it kind of work in different ways, but I think it would work either way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just thinking enough, they both end on a similar note of yeah. like... <laughs> of like letting go, but also uh, there's the future is ahead, Um but just very, very different lead-ups to that. Um, but yeah, I love Nicolas Cage as an actor, and I think um, the different color palettes would be super cool and super 
um, and, and, and I think both of them are edited perfectly. Um, one being edited intentionally very, very slow, and then one being edited very, very quickly um, at, at a kind of a breakneck uh, speed. Um, uh, yeah, I just, I, I, I love them both, and I, I would love to watch them in the same day. Yeah, yeah. Um, another great pick. I didn't know you were a big Raising Arizona fan. I thought I was the only one who appreciated that movie enough. <laughs> I love that movie. I love Raising Arizona. Yeah. It never gets enough shine. Um, my number two is the the Fuck the Rich double feature. Um, we got Triangle of Sadness into Parasite. Um, mm. I think they both have great satire. Um, Triangle of Sadness I start with because it's like definitely a, more comedic. But I think starting with it would prime you for the comedy of Parasite uh, super well. So I think you'd get more laughs. Uh, probably pre-gaming Parasite with Triangle of Sadness. Uh, but the drama won't be lost on you because you're also all eat the rich brain by <laughs> hour three when you're in the basement. Um, and so, yeah, Parasite and Triangle of Sadness. That's a good one. That's a good one. I like that a lot. Um, love that there's two Bong Joon-Ho's on yours because there is no Bong Joon-Ho on mine. Somebody had uh, to do it. Yeah, you had to. You had to. Uh, I should my... have put all of them, <laughs> including one, <laughs> mother and mother. <laughs> no. uh, my number two is um, David Lynch's Wild at Heart and John Woo's Face Off. Because Wild at Heart follows Nicolas Cage as an Elvis impersonator, and Face Off follows Nicolas Cage and John Travolta impersonating each other. Uh, it's insane. It's insane, and I love it. And I can't get enough of it. Um, so uh, both movies are absolutely crazy, absolutely balls to the wall for different reasons. Um, I, I do think Wild at Heart is better. Uh, but face off uh, is just—it's just so much, so so many laughs, so many enjoyable, uh, so many enjoyable explosions. Uh, talk about that, but yeah, uh, both great Nicolas Cage performances. Got to got to shout yeah. out the Cage. I appreciate that at least four of your ten movies involved <laughs> in this are Nick Cage. That's why that's why we're here. Yeah, um, my number one is the claustrophobic isolation horror um and it's the only one that i've done back to back of these uh and that's the thing and alien uh, Ooh. I think two of the greatest uh, horror movies and two of the greatest movies ever made um they both have the kind of feeling that you don't know exactly where the danger is uh and they both keep you in suspense in that for a long time uh dangers inside of people for <laughs> both of these movies for a lot of it too um and i think i think this just kind of fucks with your head and makes you not trust your friends and so <laughs> give them a watch i recommend it i had a blast when i did it it's like some halloween years ago uh, stuck with me long enough to include it as my number one here yeah the message of alien is don't rely on your friends. And the message of the thing is don't believe anything your friends say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So good. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Um, I, one that narrowly missed my list was alien and the descent. So I'm glad that, um, also, also great. 
Yeah, so I'll, I'm I'm very glad that Alien, both Alien and The Thing, um, made your list because I think they're both masterpieces. Uh, my number one is The Rock and Con Air. <laughs> <laughs> you motherfucker! <laughs> these are these are his, his two best action movies. Um, the Rock is uh, Nicolas Cage in a Michael Bay movie. And Con Air is Nicolas Cage in a movie that's trying to be a Michael Bay movie. Um, I end with Con Air because I enjoy it more. I think it's more optimistic. I think it's funnier. I think it's uh, ultimately um, just a more like uh, cathartic experience. Um, I do think The Rock is like top two, maybe top three Michael Bay, but um, uh, and as much as I love it, I, I can't put it above Con Air, and I can't see myself watching it after Con Air because I feel like I'd be so exhausted after Con Air. Yeah, um, that's fair. <laughs> that's Con Fair. That's Con Fair. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I I put The Rock there, and I put Con Air there. And <laughs> um, yeah, we. Um, I, I think both of us. <laughs> I also fun fact: uh, The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off all came came out within twelve months of each other. Um, <laughs> he is crazy prolific. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. Um, did Did your four and five have any Nick Cage movies? I can't remember <laughs> what they were. Now I've been too distracted. Were they just all Nick Cage and I didn't notice? <laughs> No, the plan was to sneak Nick Cage up onto you. Oh. <laughs> You're locked in the cage out of nowhere. Stupid. We've already leaned into too many puns. No, uh, my number five was Point Break Bad Boys 2, and my number gotcha, two was yeah. Licorice and uh, Once Upon a mm -hmm. Time. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm, not just, I'm just gonna. <laughs> I was gonna say I thought he was a licorice pizza. <laughs> that wasn't. That wasn't a joke. That didn't go anywhere. Oh, you want to talk about Barbie? Let's do it. <laughs> oh, uh, let's. Um, yeah. So this movie is kind of. It's kind of interesting. They announced it, I remember, as early as, like, 2015. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I think Amy Schumer was going to, like, direct and star in it uh, or write and yeah. star in it. And I was, uh, you know, no disrespect. Um, she's a very prolific lady. Uh, I was not really on board with that idea um, because I had a feeling about what the, the movie was going to be about and what the movie is going to be like. And I was like, eh, I'm not really interested. Um, yeah. To be fair, I wasn't even interested in the original with Tyra Banks, but um, uh, it wasn't on. Yeah, <laughs> I got buried in my brain. You just unlocked something. Yeah, I was ex <laughs> I was honestly expecting a Tyra cameo, but it never happened. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, sorry. So um, multiple scheduling conflicts, multiple creative differences between Mattel, uh, Warner Brothers, and whatever filmmaker or slash writer was assigned to the project at the time. Um, this, this thing went through years and years and years of cycles. And finally, um, Margot Robbie was cast in 2019. And then two years later, uh, Greta Gerwig signed on to direct. And that is when I think everybody kind of was like, okay, 
Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Um, <laughs> and I think, um, you know, that that's kind of where... Uh, that that's the, that's kind of where the, the 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 excitement started for me um because i love greta gerwig i think um her and noah bombach um as a creative team have been so good at analyzing men and women um and their place in the world in really funny and interesting ways and i think this movie is no exception um mm-hmm. i think uh this this is not the first philosophical comedy to come out this year, but I think um, it's it edges out uh, Asteroid City just in terms of how funny it is, in terms of how crazy it gets, and anarchic. Uh, uh, Greta Gerwig wanted it to feel anarchic. Um, it also references a lot of cool stuff, so it's a good like film nerd movie. Um, uh, yeah, I, I I love this movie a lot. I I really really enjoy it. Um, and I enjoyed all the performances. I enjoyed the direction and the writing. Um, how did you feel about it, Jared? Yeah, I absolutely loved it too. Um, I I think it was hilarious. I was literally crying, laughing <laughs> during this movie. Um, but I think it was also like crazy profound. I think Greta Gerwig like gives the children watching just like tools to dismantle the patriarchy. I mean, obviously, there's like some some weird methods they use in this movie uh that I don't think would 100% work but like I don't know it it feels like it's an important like feminist film uh yeah. coming from the white man um and it, yeah so I was I loved every second of it um I had a great time I was worried uh after the movie had started that when because I knew she went into the real world because I had seen the trailers because I was too excited not to. I was like, I feel like that's where the movie's going to dip for me. Uh, but it didn't. It was quick. It was in and out. Um, and I it didn't feel bad at all. Like, I, I didn't lose any enjoyment when that happened like I thought I would. Um, the soundtrack fucking bangs. The production design is like pretty much a lock for me for like best production design of the year. Um, and that's, I mean, you mentioned asteroid city that was hard to top for, for this year so far, but like the sets in this are crazy, dude. They're insane. Some of the behind the scenes stuff is, is wild to see. Um, and yeah, it comes together in a great way. And Greta, Greta just could do no wrong. (laughs) She's, she's our little golden child right now. I love it. Uh, I had a I had an amazing time with this one. This is a billion dollar golden child now. This movie has yeah. gotten a way more child. successful <laughs> than um, than people anticipated. Um, and yeah, I um, uh, should we score I these? Do think, sorry, I was I was going to interrupt. Uh, I, I'm down either way. I don't know. I'm kind of burned out on scoring. I think scoring art is ruined for me. <laughs> I think I'm just like <laughs> just enjoy it or don't. Um, yeah, I do think I do think Barbie is going to set a very annoying trend though, because I spent more on the marketing budget than the film budget, and I think we're going to get bombarded by Hollywood seeing that that worked and being like, oh, we're just going to pump any movie we can into your veins. Yeah, uh, and I think it's going to be 
awful soon. I think next year is going to be annoying. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I, but I honestly, like, I feel like, um, I feel like as long as the films have writers of this caliber of, of, sure. of Gerwig Bombach's caliber, um, yeah. And as long as they have uh, like passion and love behind them, then I think they'll continue to work uh, with meta cinema. The the I, I've I've gone on here and I've complained about how everything's too meta nowadays, but I you know obviously there are exceptions. Like I think the Deadpool movies, because Ryan Gosling is so passionate about that character, or re- sorry, Ryan Reynolds is so passionate about that character. Uh, I can't believe I did that. Uh, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I, I think he actually, um, I think he makes those movies work. I think uh, Fleabag works for that same reason. Um, and I think this one works because, like, it's not like, um, like, I've been seeing a lot of, like, uh, we're a commercial and we're selling you a product. And we're aware that we're selling you a product. And that's kind of what we're doing. Um, this movie does do that. But I think because they go the extra mile, like specifically with uh, the Ken dance at the end, the the weird dream dance, like that, like, <laughs> like, like, oh, I was like, oh, this is where we're going. This is where we're going. We're going singing in the rain with this movie. We're going. <laughs> I'm on board. <laughs> yeah, I the the every every single opportunity she um, gets to um to take it uh to take the film further and to to take the film to a higher height uh she takes it um she takes it with uh like you said the production design even ben shapiro who hated the movie said that the production design was awesome (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um, (laughs) getting ben shapiro to compliment this movie in any way is like you deserve a pulitzer for that right (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah, get it. Um, the the production design. I think uh, humanizing the dolls or the ideas of the dolls, the idea of Barbie, and and uh, showing her in different manifestations, um, and having those manifestations uh, meet reality and confront their own being in a different way is yeah. so Ooh. bizarre and weird, and it works. When she asks her dead creator for like permission to like be herself, I'm like, what the fuck? This is a Barbie movie. We don't need <laughs> we don't need to get this deep. <laughs> I I I was literally crying. Like I was so this movie is so heartfelt, so beautiful. Um and I think the turning point for me, I think when when I was like, okay, this is some next level shit mm-hmm. is not just in the beginning where where it was like, oh man, I'm finally watching Barbie. But when you when she gets to the real world and she sees the old lady at the bench, and she says, "This is the first old lady she's ever seen in her life," yeah, and she says, "You're so beautiful," and I'm like, "Fuck, man!" Like that's <laughs> that's what it's all about. Yeah. That's what the whole movie's yeah. all about. It's all in that one scene, um, and it's just her coming back around to that idea of like finding completion and uh satisfaction uh not just in the idea of utopia and perfection but in uh in 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 
the f- in humanity, despite its flaws, despite the flaws inherent in humanity. Um, yeah, it's it's just so, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, we can break this, it down this, further. This, sorry, go ahead. The film, sorry, the film just like toes the line between low and high art so yeah. well. Um, like the the scene where the Kens have taken over during the plot to like get them back when they're all singing to, individually to their bar band. Which is the part that I was like crying laughing. It was the perfect song. <laughs> I want to thank you for granted. Um, yeah. But like just having something that goofy and that like I don't know, just kind of lowbrow humor that's like low hanging fruit, but then tying it to like the evils of the patriarchy and how like this utopia is a utopia not because it's a matriarchy, but because like that just has never existed and been thought of here, uh, and that kind of greed just doesn't exist here. Uh, is it's gorgeous. It's such a good. This movie's gonna. Stay on the fucking test of time, man. It's one of those movies where you watch it and you're like, this is a classic. People are going to think about this movie in 50 years. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, um, I think even even to that point, I think uh, it shows... It's, it's like a really awesome, like, culmination of, like, Greta Gerwig's influences, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's, it's a nice like pivot point into like her going into big budget, into big budget films, um, because she references all the movies that she loves, you know, um, big one of obviously being 2001. Um, it was so good, dude. The so, second it turned into the Barbie logo, I like jumped out of my seat. I was like, yeah. fuck yeah, we're here. It's happening. <laughs> and, and at the end, I didn't even notice this until the second time, but she does the eye thing. Um, the eye close-up oh, right. when, when when Barbie becomes a human. Um, yeah, it's so good. Um, the Umbrellas of Cherbourg um, is, uh, is a huge influence on this one. Um, the Red Shoes, huge influence. Wizard of Oz, huge influence. Mm-hmm. Um, the Truman Show. Uh, I think um, a lot of the... the um, like you said, those those themes that like that end up in the in the comedy and in the serious moments of the movie, like all of those are are rooted, I think, in her love for cinema. And so I think, um, yeah, it's 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 a it's an interesting culmination of everything that kind of made her uh, a filmmaker, and then now it's uh, and now it's just like where where is she going to go from here? I'm so excited. Yeah. I I'm can't so excited. <laughs> Um, we could break it down, um, a bit more, uh, the lead performances, uh, Margot Robbie as stereotypical Barbie or just Barbie and Mm -hmm. Ryan Gosling as Ken, uh, or beach Ken. Um, yeah. Thoughts on on he's not beach Ken. He's just Ken. (laughs) He's He's not even beach Ken, but he does beach. He, uh, he, uh, he, he, he was just Ken and now he is Kenuff. Um, yeah. No, I, I think uh, these performances are great, but, um, what do you think about them? Yeah. I think it was perfect casting. I think just even looking at them, like 
physicality, Margot Robbie's kind of the perfect cast for Barbie, and Ryan Gosling's the perfect pick for Ken. Like, it's like visually, it's just perfect 10 out of 10. Um, and they both have the chops to back it up. I think Margot Robbie kind of came on the scene, she, she, Gained popularity with Wolf of Wall Street. I know she was in other stuff before, but then, like at that point, she was like, "Oh, let's sexualize this woman. Like, let's. She is just this hot thing to ogle at." Um, and then people like immediately realized how much talent she had, and um, and I, so I think she's the perfect cast for Barbie because I think her career kind of takes a similar trajectory uh, as Barbie in this movie. Um, Ryan Gosling, not so much. He started what Disney Channel is <laughs> like his his shtick. Um, but I think I think he's just perfect in every scene. I want I want a Ken spinoff so bad. Like I would <laughs> I would watch three hours of just Ryan Gosling being goofy for Barbie's attention in that first ten minutes. It'd be redundant, but I would watch every second of it. I think I think he absolutely nailed it. Um, he has so many hilarious lines in this. Like the, at first I thought horses rule the world. And then I realized men do. <laughs> it's, it's just perfect. Um, yeah, everything about Ken is, is what I wanted out of him. Um, and same with Barbie. Like, yeah, there's just perfect casting, perfect performances. Yeah. I managed to avoid the trailer, uh, but I saw the poster and it said, the tagline was "She's everything, and he's just Ken," and I and I, I had a feeling then I was like, "Are they gonna get into the dark side of Ken? Is this movie gonna go dark with Ken? Oh, you know it. Is Ken gonna be the villain? <laughs> Ken is <laughs> Ken is not the villain, thankfully. But um, as a secondary, as a you know, as as a secondary character, I think um, it's like they did explore the darkness in, in him and Absolutely. A, in, in a way that was so funny uh, and so beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really, really um, love that they didn't just spend the whole movie uh, shitting on men, you know? I feel like yeah. there are some feminist comedies that um, that do this and that's fine if it's funny, you know, if it's funny, go for it, keep doing it. But, um, what are you going to accomplish with that? You know, you gotta, you gotta offer an alternative, um, when you want to change, if you want, if you really want your comedy to change the world, you gotta, you can't just critique society. You gotta actually like say, Hey, this is actually a way forward. And I think Ken is the perfect, uh, vehicle for that. Um, having his entire life defined by whether or not a woman sees him as a man and then finding out that it's okay if he just sees himself as himself, not even just as a man, yeah. just, just I'm as a person. <laughs> I, I am Kenneth. I am Kenneth. I got to, I got to write that on my, my whiteboard in my new room. I'm going to get tatted on me. <laughs> it's so good. And, um, and yeah, like you said, the talent level between t- the two of them is off the charts. Mm-hmm. Um, Robbie, uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I agree that she looks like the original Barbie doll, and that uh, that makes her a, a perfect person for the the just the look of the the protagonist. But um, 
I think she's she's always had this like this little this little this edge to all of her characters, even the ones that are like overtly sexualized, and you know she was definitely getting the paycheck. Um, uh, you know, I think for this one, like uh, she she she's given so much creative freedom and so much like room to just. Um, to breathe life into this, into this Barbie, into this character. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Love, love, love them. Um, I, 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 I would have liked to see like more of the other Barbies, but I think that's just me being like a fan. I don't think that's a critique. Um, yes, <laughs> um, I, I agree. And I think one of my only things I disliked about the movie um, was most of when we see the other Barbies uh, is after the patriarchy arrives and they're all like bimbified, <laughs> basically. Um, it, it felt like it devalued their characters. I get that they're like, oh, the nobody knew the patriarchy was existed, so it brainwashed them. Um, and it felt like kind of a, a throwaway, easy way to like just jump ahead uh, in the story a bit. Um, but I, I think if we had seen the Barbies doing their jobs or whatever, like it would have been, it would have been cool. And it would have like, I don't know, added to that a bit more. Like see the Kens convince them to. Yeah. Oh, see okay. that, or yeah. even like, um, even get more Barbie time with the, the side Barbies ahead of time. So like it hits a little harder instead of being like confused with margot robbie's barbie you're like feel sorry for them as well for like being dragged into it i don't know for sure for sure yeah no i um i definitely want to want to learn more about president barbie i thought she was mm -hmm. fun i want to know more about pregnant barbie i don't know that existed that is Mitch. gross and weird <laughs> but it would have been funny if she was just like walking around <laughs> shut up bitch she's discontinued <laughs> Um. <laughs> I also kind of wanted more Alan. I think Alan is <laughs> a great antithesis to Ken. I think he shows the the ambiguously gay, emasculated ally in in a great way. And I just want more Alan. <laughs> I think I think you just need to watch it again because Alan is yeah. every time Alan's in the background doing. I was watching it very closely the second time. Every time he's doing something funny in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I counted like, a few times. He was just—it's uh, just Michael Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> when when Ken There's starts, only one Alan. When Ken gives up his his dream house, and when Ken when Ken gives up at the very end and starts the crying Mojo and Dojo Casa house. <laughs> yeah, when he when he runs into the Mojo Dojo Casa house and uh, is crying, and the, there's like there's like one close up of Alan like also crying. <laughs> <laughs> he was just perfect. He was just there. He was just hanging out, wanted everything to be kosher. Like, <laughs> he's the man. So good. Um. Yeah. Um. I. I've. I've also been kind of like privately uh, annoyed by Simu Liu, uh, just because of his social media uh, shenanigans. Mm -hmm. But um, 
I haven't seen any of them. <laughs> was, well, when um, when Tarantino said the thing about like Marvel not having any stars, mm-hmm. just characters, uh, he was like, he was like Quentin Tarantino and Scorsese need to stop being gatekeepers of the industry. And I'm like, you literally picked the two guys who are not gatekeepers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Um, anyway, I uh, I want to see Rulu's team again. I freaking I freaking yeah. loved him as, Came as back around. the beach rival. Ken. Ken. Yeah, dude, <laughs> rival beach Ken. <laughs> he was so good. As soon as he said, "I'll beat you off right here," it's like, okay, yes, see me. yes, yeah. back. <laughs> He's back. Oh um, no, he was. Yeah, he was awesome. Him and Kingsley Benadir, the the that was suddenly British at the very end. Uh, Ken. <laughs> So good. Um, yeah, love all the Barbies, love all the Kens. Mm-hmm. Could have used more John Cena, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, you do love your Cena. Is there anything you didn't like about the movie? What qualms do you got with Barbie? I thought I did, and then I watched it a second time, and I was like, it's okay. Oh. <laughs> I forgive you. <laughs> so no, not really. I mean, if I if I had to if I had to score it, it'd be a very very high score. Um, I know some people have said that the movie, yes, the movie did a good job of criticizing and mocking Mattel as a company and the way they marketed the Barbie and the way they uh, kind of messed with women's heads by idealizing women in a certain way. Yeah. But um, I think the thing that they maybe could have done and didn't was uh, talk about consumerism as a whole. Why people even want to buy the Barbie. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's an interesting question that the movie didn't get into. But I think because they do such a good job with everything else, I don't really need it. Um, I I, I think... um, having consumerism maybe the consumerism angle will be the the angle in the sequel i don't know if there is a sequel um yeah uh maybe maybe there's a i don't know we'll we'll see we'll see um, <laughs> yeah, but that, i sorry i i agree i i think I think they were harder on Mattel than I thought because I was like Mattel has to green light this they're not gonna like actually criticize them like they're just not gonna let that happen uh but they did at least a little bit i would have liked to see it go further even further with like the um body dysmorphia they caused um i think it would have would have been nice to to really hit it um but uh i yeah i was don't mind because it's fine because you made the near perfect if not perfect movie (laughs) (laughs) for sure for sure and it's all it's a lot of work uh deconstructing ideas and then constructing new ideas um yeah you don't have to criticize everything you don't gotta pack it all into two hours like they didn't talk about the climate crisis so (laughs) (laughs) no no um uh Anything else we're leaving out? Uh, cinematography by Rodrigo Prieto. Um, fantastic work. Uh, mm-hmm. He uh, won for the for cinematography for The Irishman. Um, and uh, maybe he'll win again for this one. Holy shit. 
Oh, and he's coming back for Killers of the Flower Moon, so he's working with Scorsese oh, three times now. Damn. That's cool. Big year for him. Yeah, man. That's crazy. Um, yeah. Did you uh, like the soundtrack? It was kind of a big thing. It's charting. It's like five of the top ten <laughs> songs right now. Really? At least. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Like the Billie Eilish, Charlie, XCX, Ice Spice for sure are all right. in the top ten right now. I do. Um, I think I saw others. I, I liked the Eilish song. Um, mm-hmm. I cry. That's the one where I cried. Um, yeah. I like the Ice Spice song was cool. Um, yeah. I think it's a fun little update. Uh, I think my favorite by far is the is the Dua Lipa song for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because I love that that. Um, uh, that dance number right before she has thoughts of death. Um, <laughs> but da- I think dance of the night is both a great do du- du- a Lipa song and a great uh, song for the story. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'll go with that one. Yeah. Was it, it was Lizzo that had like the anti Barbie <laughs> song after songs of death. Was that, <laughs> that was great too. That was, <laughs> that got me. So good. I mean, Lizzo, jury's out on you right now. Sorry. But like, <laughs> that song. But I always like your re- music. The, yeah, the real one banged. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I can't. <laughs> I'm not going to touch that other stuff. <laughs> good tunes. <laughs> I was a little disappointed by the Charlie XCX song. I think it's good. And it gets me excited for her new album. Like, mm. very excited. She posted that it, Every song's gonna like basically be a diss track on somebody in the industry, which is fucking hype. Um, good, but this one I, I don't think is her her best work, but I, it was good enough for sure. For sure. All right, um, I think that's uh, that's all I had for Barbie. Um, watch it, just fucking watch yeah. it. Do it. Uh, watch it again. Watch it I'm, again. I want to watch it again. I want to see it before it leaves theaters. It plays so well <laughs> on a rewatch. It plays so well yeah, on a rewatch. I, um, I, I did see, uh, I would think it came from TikTok, but I watched it on Instagram. Some guy who did shrooms and, and watched it and was like having a breakdown after. He's like, I didn't expect to have to deconstruct every aspect of society and how I benefit from it, but I'm glad I am. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was oh man! <laughs> now, yeah, this is this one was great. Um, shout out to the uh, rest of the cast who I didn't mention. Um, I think mm-hmm. I mentioned Issa Rae, but also Emmy Emma Mackey was good. Alexandra Ship, Kate McKinnon, always amazing. Oh, Kate McKinnon killed it as weird Barbie. <laughs> she was perfect. So so good. Uh, America Ferreira for the iconic monologue. Uh, Rhea Perlman, who I did not know was going to be in the movie until the opening credits. I was like, yes! Uh, I'm, I'm a big Cheers fan. And uh, Will Ferrell, of course. Shout out Will Ferrell. Mm-hmm. Transition question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, go, you, could, you could ask first if you want. No, no. I, was, I, was, I just, uh, you froze. Um, Transition people question. have been kind of pitting, pitted Barbie and Oppenheimer together. Which one was better? Was Barbie better than Oppenheimer? Oh my God. 
Which one? Which one won? I knew you would ask me this. Who's the winner? I knew you would ask me this. I was praying you wouldn't. Oh, like, God. Like, uh, like, if I have to do, like, if I, if, if, I, if I'm, like, yeah. allowed multiple yeah. decimals, multiple yeah. decimals, I'll give Barbie, five. I'll, I'll give Barbie <laughs> nine point five five five. Nine point eight five 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 five, and I'll give Oppenheimer nine point eight five 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 six. That's how close they are in terms of. Um, yeah, I I I think, um, uh, both movies do a good job. Um, like one being like. Uh, philosophical comedy slash toy commercial, like the Lego movie, um, and one being a biopic. I think they both do a great job of exceeding their potential within those subgenres, while also um, I think that they could have gone a little bit further. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about Oppenheimer. But um, regardless, I think Oppenheimer is uh, one of... Christopher Nolan's best films. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up the the little wiki spreadsheet showing his filmography real quick to make sure. It's tough. He's so consistent. Like it's yeah. insane. It's uh it's maybe it's probably top five. It's definitely top five. Mm-hmm. Definitely top five. Um I I th- I think I still gotta give uh Dunkirk is my favorite and then maybe Dark Knight and then Oppenheimer. Um, maybe, maybe. I think same except switch Dunkirk with Interstellar. I loved Interstellar. Oh yeah, I'm I'm actually in the middle of Interstellar right now when I was <laughs> waiting for you. <laughs> uh, love Interstellar as well. Um, yeah. Uh, Oppenheimer, based on the uh, f- on the book American Prometheus, which won the Pulitzer Prize uh, by uh, Bird and Sherwin. Um. This was originally going to be taken by Sam Mendes. I'm glad it was uh, uh, Chris Nolan instead because, um, you know, although I love Sam Mendes as a filmmaker, I think this was just the perfect vehicle for Christopher Nolan to Mm -hmm. continue his streak and just being the most expensive uh, experimental filmmaker of all time. (laughs) And uh, besides George Lucas, I guess. And um, (laughs) yeah, like he, he, he is... Um, he gets to basically just use this movie as um, a kind of a culmination of everything that he's been he's been working on in the past. He uh, he you know took that kind of epic scope of uh, Dark Knight Rises, Dunkirk, Interstellar, and Tenet, and uh, and used it to recreate the 1930s and 40s in a really beautiful and brilliant way. Um, while also exploring the really intense non-linear thriller that he went through in uh, freaking uh, following and um, Memento and uh, The Prestige. Uh, he does it all here, and he, um, I think, uh, surpasses himself um, and does it in freaking the biggest, most uh, high-quality uh, celluloid um, medium available. And, uh, yeah, uh, the results are stunning. The results are heartbreaking. The results are uh, very, very uh, compelling so that it, this three-hour movie doesn't even feel like a three-hour movie. Both times I watched it, didn't feel like a three-hour movie. Yeah. Um, 
excellent performances. We'll get into those later. But yeah, um, Oppenheimer. I think it's a, it's a beautiful spectacle. Uh, I do give the slight edge to Barbie. I'll, mm. be the, uh, I'll be the opposite side of the coin. Um, but I think that justified its runtime immensely. I think it's like the fastest paced three hour movie I've ever seen. I feel like if I missed one line of dialogue, I'd be way behind. It's just, it's super snappy. They make every scene feel important and is important. Um, the visuals of it is absolutely gorgeous. The bomb is as intimidating as it should be. Um, I, I think yeah, performances are amazing. Even Robert Downey Jr. kills it in a, in a post Avengers. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. He fucking knocks it out of the park. It's crazy that it might come down to him and Ken for best supporting actor this year. Um, that's a wild thought. I yeah, I I think the score. Uh, Ludwig Göransson killed it. Um, I, I was very excited to hear that, and it it satisfied me. Um, yeah, across the board, I it lived up to the hype that I had, and I had a lot of hype for this movie. Uh, I was I was very excited, and it and it lived up to the expectation. Um, there are some things that I think it could have done a little better for me. Um, I can say those now or later; it doesn't matter to me. I'll get them off my chest someday. Uh, but it's still like, if I was gonna rate it still in the nine somewhere like it's still excellent excellent movie for sure for sure um the i guess the thing that kind of makes this a christopher nolan movie is the the structure of it um one being uh the black and white the objective what happened uh in history in american history and then the other being the subjective point of view, what happened in Oppenheimer's personal journey, that's all in color. Um, how do you think, uh, how do you feel about the way the two journeys, the two uh, stories interacted and the way um, it kind of, uh, like, does it help you give a, does it help give you a um, more complete portrait of Oppenheimer as a character? I think so. Um, I think I think he's just such a chaotic dude that it's hard to encapsulate him. And I think this is the best we could have ever gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's still like when we were in his perspective in the color sections, it still like felt a little fragmented despite it being this total complete story. Um, but I think the the black and white sections like kind of fact checked in and checked in like with reality. And it's, it's like, here's, here's the, after the fact weight of a lot of the situations we're dealing with. Um, That said, I think the black and white focused a little too much on, um, I'm blanking on the character's name, but Robert, uh, Louis Strauss. Uh, I I think I was just less invested in him and Oppenheimer's relationship by the end of it. Uh, I think we could have just spent a little less time there and more time on the morality conflict and bringing that out with the black and white versus the color sections. But I I think overall they they interplayed and complemented each other near perfectly. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
one thing that I, I, I love Emily Blunt uh, in the movie, and she said that mm. um, when she when she got the script, she saw that, um, or she, she said a comment, um, Nolan Trojan horse to biopic into a thriller. Yeah, um, and I I think that's that. So the intercutting between the the color, the black and white, I think is something that Nolan has been great at since the beginning of his of his career, uh, which is using information to add tension, and understanding the difference between um, between an event in cinema and or a, an event in a scene and a scene as a piece of information. It's something that's so so technically difficult uh, to do, especially in writing. Um, but he manages to accomplish it here in in, in such a smooth way, um, in a way that's uh, I think equally as smooth as something like Interstellar, which kind of goes in a circle, or um, something like uh, 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 Memento, uh, which mm -hmm. does the same thing. Um, and kind of, it's it, got a it, lot of movies that go in circles. Yeah, Tenant is basically a circle as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and um, yeah, so um, I think to to that point, um, I think that's kind of you mentioned. It didn't feel or it justified its runtime. I, I I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think also what added to the tension was the just insane Ludwig score where, you know, just sitting in a courtroom and talking and I'm like, <sighs> <sighs> yeah, <dude. laughs> still way too tense. Like, you're um, sweating and they're like, your honor. I'm like, <laughs> I think, I think also this is like the most violins I've heard in a Christopher Nolan movie since like Dark Knight Rises. Like I do, like it's really really like beautiful cuz like sometimes the violin will sound scary and sometimes it'll sound super romantic. And I think that's that's this guy's life. That's Oppenheimer's life was um these moments of of revelatory bliss. Uh, and these moments of uh, and, and, and inspiration, and then these moments of uh, just otherworldly um, alienation and loneliness and guilt, and uh, yeah, uh, it's it's amazing. Um, talk about the cinematography, which is a big, uh, very public thing that this was going to be a majority shot uh, in IMAX, um, sixty-five millimeter. IMAX 70 um, uh, millimeter, and um, it's also the first time uh, IMAX is doing 65 millimeter black and white. Um, so what did you think about the cinematography by Hoyte van Hoytema, and uh, who I think has collaborated with Nolan for the one, two, three, this is the fourth movie with Dang. Nolan. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought it was great. I think, I think it's what you kind of expect from a Nolan movie at this point is that like just giant scope. Um, and I, I think we capture that. I think like the shots of the bomb, uh, are some of the most impressive. If, if I didn't feel weird, including it in the top five explosions, uh, in, in the beginning <laughs> of the show, I would have like, it's, it's that good. And it's that grandiose. Um, but also just like sitting in the courtroom, it feels like equal weight. It feels like equal importance. 
Um, and I think I think that's a stamp of great cinematography. When you can do the the medium one shots or two shots of just people talking, uh, as well as you can as the fucking nuclear bomb being tested. Uh, that's that's cinema, baby. That's what we're that's what we're here for. Um, yeah, I I think I I didn't expect any less from these two, uh, and yeah, they they held their own for sure. Yeah, Hoytzema is one of the few people on the planet that is willing to put an IMAX on his shoulder. <laughs> yeah, um, and it really really works, especially those handheld scenes. Um, and kind of being in the theater and being able to see when the screen expands and when the mm-hmm. when the frame uh, is different, I think, helps not only the story and how the characters and the emotional state of the characters. Um, it also just really makes you appreciate the the efforts that the cast and the crew went to go through this movie and to recreate history this way. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's so so beautiful. Um, you mentioned the explosion. This is kind of the biggest uh, one of one of the one of the, the the highlights of the film, and also kind of the thing that we're, that the film literally counts down to. Um, mm-hmm. What did you think about that scene? Uh, how did you feel uh, in anticip- Like, what was your uh, thoughts leading up to it? And then, how did it live up to those expectations? Um, I exceeded them. Uh, I, I loved just like, you could tell how far people were from the bomb just by like their, their placement in the scene. Um, and so like just seeing everybody kind of tense up, even, um, oh, what's his face from good time? <laughs> like any safety sunscreen or whatever all over his face. Like you just sit there looking goofy as hell. Um, but I was so tense. Like the moments leading up, and and you you said the whole film kind of counts down to that moment, uh, and it does, and I think you feel it the whole time, and then when it finally happens, and then like there's kind of the delay before the shockwave hit, it's powerful, dude. It, like I didn't even see it on an IMAX screen or or with the best sound. My theater's kind of dingy, um, and it's still like I felt the weight of it. I felt that. Um, and that silence that they utilize when it happens is um, insane. It's a bold choice. It's a very brave choice. Uh, and I think it, it paid off. It just makes you sit with the weight of it. Um, one thing after I left the theater was I I feel like they didn't hit the weight of dropping it on Hiroshima uh, as well as they could have uh, in Nagasaki. But um, I think that moment where they like do it you you feel the decision. You feel like the scientific achievement, the glee, but also like this this is the end of the world. Like this could this could be it. Um, and I I think doing that with one explosion over multiple distances is beautiful. It's scary. It's it's gorgeous. Yeah, definitely. It's it's really really insane that they were able to accomplish this with. Uh, no CGI at all. Yeah. Um, um, I, 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 I'm itching to buy this Blu-ray, dude. I'm itching, uh, and uh, I can't wait to I can't wait to see how they how they uh, do it or part of how they do it. But um, yeah, I 
I also um, something to add is you know I, I well I, I I agree with it with everything you said about the the like feeling the triumph of the scientists and stuff, and then mm -hmm. also feeling this as an outsider and like knowing what it means for the world. Um, I think rewatching it. And this is why I love watching rewatching Nolan movies is because like knowing the end of his movies and then going back and seeing these moments, it's like, fuck, like this is really sad that they're celebrating. And it's really sad that, um, that, uh, that our species did this. Um, and that, um, you know, we, I, I, you know, ultimately I think Oppenheimer you know, yeah, it's a it's a biopic, but it's also uh, a cautionary tale about, um, you know, what about kind of kind of like how Barbie's all about humanity about humanity as a whole. <laughs> I think yeah. human I think Oppenheimer's about humanity as a whole. No yeah. matter no matter what, uh, we're going to come up with um, the thing that destroys us, and mm -hmm. we're going to, um, you know. Uh, yeah, we're yeah. This yeah. this it's either it's either capitalism or big bombs. Take your pick. <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, man. It's it's an interesting um, look at it, and it's interesting too that there's so much movie after the explosion. Um, yeah. You get to see. Uh, I thought that I, was going to be the end. Like oh, really? before, I saw obviously like when it was happening, I was like, we still got like another hour, but like. Yeah. When I when I was seeing trailers and leading up, I was like, the last scene is probably the explosion. Like it just kind of feels like it would be, but I'm glad right. it wasn't. I'm glad we got the extra stuff. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of where I see Killian Murphy's performance like really take off is in that last half of the film. Um, if it is halfway, I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, time, I don't know. I, I can't perceive time when I'm watching a movie like this, but. Uh, yeah, uh, him kind of dealing with this interesting paradox of guilt and triumph, of uh, trying to trying to fix your mistake and also deliberately damning yourself uh, by putting yourself through this courtroom, this 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 kangaroo court, uh, for uh, just just to make yourself like feel more guilty about this horrible thing that you did. This is it's 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 such an interesting layered paradox, and I love 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 Murphy's performance because of it. Um, yeah, so good. Um, what do you think about? Because this is the I think this is their sixth collaboration. Uh, Killian Murphy and, and um, uh, Nolan. What do you think about him as a as a leading man? I know you haven't yeah. seen Peaky Blinders yet. So yeah, I I have not seen Peaky Blinders, uh, and I forgot he was in Dunkirk until I rewatched. It I was like, oh yeah, you're you're here. Um, I I think he was great. I think he was uh, a, a good cast for the role. I don't I don't think I can't think of anybody I'd I'd rather see play him. Um, he didn't like blow me away. He didn't do anything that like knocked my socks off, but. Uh, like he didn't have to. It's it. Whenever a biopic goes too into it, like Bohemian Rhapsody, 
uh, you like it, it turns out more goofy. And so this being more uh, understated, solemn, uh, and just kind of lets you sit with the complexities instead of being like, oh, I'm so conflicted and complex. Like it, it was perfect. I think I think he played the the understatedness of it very well. Um, and I and I feel like just sitting with him in silence at times, like you felt the weight of every decision with him. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I thought he was great. Yeah. I don't even think Murphy knew what the visions would be like ahead of time. Like, I think they might, have, they, I, I'm not sure, but it, it seems like they made those like weird, like abstract, uh, sequences that depict, um, Oppenheimer's brain. Um, it seems like they, they put those, they, they filmed those last and, uh, and then added them onto the film. But, um, even without that, I still feel like, uh, like if you, if you had taken those out, I still would have felt, um, his kind of loneliness and his alienation, um, with that, like really amazing, like just thousand yard stare that he has. Yeah. Um, and, uh, um i like i can i like i can i i can see him like picturing all the the kids that the bomb killed and see him picturing everything that he experiences in that in that uh room when he's celebrating uh mm -hmm. it's just really really fantastic stuff yeah. um you mentioned uh, loving Robert Downey Jr.'s character or performance in this one. Um, mm -hmm. Any other notes about uh, Lewis, about Robert Downey Jr.'s Louis Strauss? Um, Not really. Um, I, do, I do stand by them giving too much screen time to him and to Oppenheimer's infidelity, to be honest. Um, I think some of those minutes could have been better spent uh, in Japan or like with the native land that got stolen and those kind of, uh, the weight of those morality questions. Um, but I, yeah, I also like, I don't know. I still think he fucking knocked it out of the park. And so I do also want to see him just like in that character more. I think he's such a sniveling little bitch, uh, that it's great. The, the part where he's, is so hung up on what Einstein and Oppenheimer were talking about that ruined his his whole plan and his relationship with Einstein, uh, only for it to be absolutely nothing about him, uh, is is such a good moment. <laughs> and it, it's it's delightful. He's he's a perfect villain for this. Um, when you need somebody to kind of focus those negative feelings on besides Oppenheimer, because the movie does kind of want you to root for Oppenheimer, um, despite like knowing the outcome and knowing how disastrous it is, disastrous it is and was for the world. Um, I think, I think Strauss is a perfect villain to, to throw on top of that too. I did, I didn't feel like I was rooting for Oppenheimer by the end of it. I feel like it was, it like he, it just makes me sad like for America and for, the the human race but um i don't know like i i i i don't think i i i don't know um 
I think maybe because Oppenheimer never actually like went to Hiroshima and Nagasaki, I think maybe and and, and never really and, and never really confronted it directly in that way. Yeah. I think um to that point, I think it's fine that that we didn't as the audience go to Japan um because we have to live with with the same because because we because we're experiencing the guilt as he's experiencing it and we're experiencing the regret as he's experiencing it um and so i think if we if we see it uh if we see the bomb drop i think it's uh it's a different movie and it's a different um way of getting to the same message i don't think it's a worse way you know yeah. maybe if they did yeah. it, it would have been good but i don't know I, I do think it, it would have been a little worse if we had seen the bomb drop because I think it takes away from that first bomb and how big of a moment that is. Um, and, and you're right about him not being there. and We see most of the movie through his eyes, if not all of it. Um, but I don't feel... I don't feel him feeling the full weight of it, if that makes sense. Even in the scene when everybody's cheering for him and he sees their skin melting? Yeah, even then. I think that's about the only time that it hits. And I I don't know. It just doesn't feel enough. <laughs> it is very powerful that it, it was moving me to all hell. But, like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I I... Um, the rest of the cast, uh, we got, uh, Matt Damon as Leslie Groves. Um, very interesting performance from him. I thought he was, I thought he was very good. Uh, and I thought he was, he, um, I don't really, I don't really think general when I, when I look at Matt Damon, but he, he fit it like, like a glove. That's just perfect casting. Um, even Casey Affleck, I was like, "Where's this guy coming around from?" There were so many like, yeah, Josh Peck. I'm like, "What are you? What are you doing here, dude?" <laughs> but but their faces, their vibe, their voices, it's just yeah, yeah it fits like a glove the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that Kenneth Branagh keeps coming back to do more Nolan movies. Um, he's just the best, uh, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, dude. Uh, great movie, great editing as well. Uh, yeah, especially the beginning. Um, yeah, when to keep that pace for so long too, and like have it work is insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and there's no like quick cuts either. Like they they keep the tension without, um, without ever like resorting to the. Yeah. Which sometimes I love, but not. Yeah, it has its place for sure. But its place is not a half courtroom drama, half <laughs> biopic nuclear thriller. For sure. Alrighty. Um, anything else you'd like to add about Oppenheimer? No, sir. Uh, I think I think I got it all out. Alrighty. Um, yeah, guys. There's these movies are still in theaters. Go watch them. Uh, watch them both on the same day if you can, uh, because it's fun. 
And hell yeah. Um, thank you. We love you. Don't glove the world. <laughs> or do. 